0: Good evening. <laughs> so, I wanna talk about Meta of course. And uh, I'm gonna talk about some of what it is and some of what it isn't. We miss it so much because of what we think it is, so Hopefully I can unpack some of this. Right off the bat, I think what I'll say is meta isn't a thing. It isn't a thing to get. Or um, an, an object, a goal. Meta describes a state of mind, a state of heart an experience and all the teachings of the Buddha actually like this the Buddha was not a theoretician he didn't talk about sort of facts and information his whole slant if you like was about experience what you're experiencing and the experience that we all can directly perceive where we're stressed, we're struggling, we're busily doing all the things we do, and when that's not the case, and we're conscious and awake and aware without the struggles and stresses that we mostly do. And he says simply, he said uh, many, many times through all the teachings, I teach one thing and one thing only, the experience of being stressed, dukkha, and freedom from it. And everything I teach is about that and nothing else. And I know a whole lot more. There's all kinds of things I could talk about, but I don't, because I just wanna teach what actually is effectively freeing us from stress. Liberation. Liberation, we think liberation is something too. We think it's something to get. It's something we want. What is it? What is Nibbana anyway? And we have all kinds of ideas about what that is. And we, it's something. And mostly what we think it is, of course it isn't. Because it isn't an it. It's simply being alive in a state that's free from all degrees of stress, anxiety, trying, worrying, doing anything. As we train our minds in meditation, we are training the faculty of the brain slash heart, the functioning system of this human, because we can train this one, See, all we can do, it's really all we can do. We can train this one to more easily notice when we're stressing, and when we're not. It should be Nibbana-ing actually, rather than the noun. When we're stressing and when there's an absence of stressing happening in this heart and mind. As we practice whatever form we're practicing of meditation and training, inner reflection, calming, focusing, we see stressing and it coming and going. Sometimes we don't see it going. Mostly we see stressing. We really see worrying, planning, hoping. We know what we see. You spend all day long doing it. And every so often there's some space between it. And in the space there's an absence of stressing. So nibbana or awakening is much more an absence than. a presence of something. So which is why I wanted to talk about metta in these terms because we think metta is lots, and it can be, lots of kinds of experience. What we do, an average human, and we need to do to a considerable degree and we have needed to do to survive, is we... I always start talks the same way because I don't know how else to start a talk. Life is a play of joys and sorrows. Up we go, down we go. Up we go again, down we go again. It's joys, it's sorrows. And it's in-betweens. It's not just straight up, straight down. It's some up, some medium, some down, and up and down. What we do, these untrained survival animal humans, is we want ups and we don't want downs. We don't just want ups, we do a lot to try and get ups and to stay ups. And we do an enormous amount to not go down, but down we go, and then we complain, and then we worry, and then we're hurt, and all manner of disappointment, anger, suing, And we need a certain amount of it. We probably don't need the suing part, but we need a certain amount of learning so that we can help ourselves not crash and go too wildly up. But that's all we do. We don't know any other way. And the teachings teach us that we don't need to chase the ups. They'll happen and they will pass. And we don't need to avoid or get angry at or afraid of the downs, they too will pass, they will come. It's the deal here. This isn't the heavenly realms where everything's supposed to be wonderful all the time. It isn't, doesn't happen. And we are foolish to want it, but we want it. And we all think that when this some down happens, there's a problem. Oh no, we say, it's awful. And then we've spread it all across the whole airwaves. (laughs) That's all people talk about. How are you? Oh, you'll never believe what happened to me. (laughs) We're preoccupied with. Because that preoccupation is where we, the sense of me, (coughs) live, really. It's where I act. It's where I function. The I-ness of me, the self-experience of me, is busily getting, chasing, wanting, or worrying, avoiding, being angry, hurt, afraid. That's how we define ourselves practically. It's how we experience ourselves. When that's not going on, when up isn't happening, or we're not chasing it or wanting to hang on to it, and when a down isn't happening, we don't have to tell everybody about it, sue somebody, and it's kind of just an ordinary day, (laughs) where am i what's my life now what am i supposed to do with that but actually there's an awful lot of very easy ordinary kind of time but we tend to get stimulated by the up and the down we define ourselves by as long as there's good enough ups, we're okay. And as long as are not too many downs, we're not. Sometimes we're really defined by how many downs we have. But that's the, the being who's experiencing these ups and these downs by chasing them and by complaining and all of the whining we do is actually exhausted. It's stressful. It's very busy. And we sit here Don't do any of that, we say. We don't we don't say stop it, we just say don't do that, do something else. It's really hard to stop it. Oh, but I want lunch. Oh, but I want I don't know if you're any saying I would like rain or something different, but or I don't want this and I don't want this knee to feel like this and I don't want something. And we're busy, busy running the agenda of me. Me Meing is a very busy activity. And we believe in all of that. We believe in the significance of that because that's how we manifest. But what about the moments when we aren't chasing or we're not complaining, not worrying or feeling hurt? The absence moments. What we do, those two things that we do, the sense of me does, being me, that's called greed and hatred. You know, all of, all of millions of manifestations. And then the other one that we do is the D is the delusion. So all the times when there's no me to want to chase or to avoid, we kind of like miss it. We don't even, it doesn't mean anything. We're ready looking for the next high, trying to avoid the next low. We miss so much of our lives because it doesn't, it doesn't exactly call me forth to have to do anything. Because we believe that the sense of me is this busy little doer chasing and avoiding. We're identified with this little busy one who survived very well as a race, too well. As we meditate, Seeing clearly, especially this tradition, I don't really know any any other tradition with any depth at all. Vipassana, as many of you know, it's training the mind, calming it down so it can see, as it gets more calm, what's going on inside, using the various techniques of breath, body, walking, so on, observing thoughts coming and going, etc. The point of the of the training is to be able to start to perceive this behavior, this meaning, this wanting, this meaning, this avoiding, and this not so meaning, which mostly is we're not even noticing. We're deluded about. We're missing. is the same thing. We do this practice so that we can become familiar with and see and feel tune in whatever words you like to how this heart is functioning. It's more the heart aspect of the heart mind. Vipassana in a way notices more the mind aspect of the heart mind. That's about the only difference. When we see into how this heart functions, where it feels, we see its wantings we see its worries, we see its contractions. The point of seeing them, of recognizing them, is to experience them. And in the experiencing of how we're functioning, in Vipassana it's not just seeing, it's experiencing dukkha, stressing, pushing, churning, being busy, because when we experience what's really going on inside ourselves, we experience what it feels like to be a me, a little me trying to be happy. And we also will experience when our minds get more subtle, which takes time, but they do. They get really subtle, beautifully subtle, clearer. We get to then see the absence of the meing. We see those moments that we normally didn't even notice And we experience when I'm not greed or hatred, chasing, scheming, pushing the river, getting excited, goal-oriented, trying, straining, working, or the other, avoiding, resisting, complaining. And in the moments when we're not being, me doing something, the human doing, Well, I tell you what it's like cuz you know what it's like. It's better. <laughs> it's Okay, just just for a second, imagine yourself. Okay, we'll do this meta like. Have a com- have an imaginary conversation. It, just imagine for a moment you meet somebody on the street. You meet somebody and they have a lot to tell you. They've they've been going through something, rather, and they're saying, "Oh my god, you wouldn't believe what just happened," and they tell you it. And to begin with, you're not really interested. And you stand there and, you know, they're needing your attention and you're okay. You know, there you are. You're being civilized. You're staying there. <laughs> and so, so how are you feeling? You feel how you're feeling. And then at some point, somehow, magically, mysteriously, they, as they say what they're saying, some part of it, you just really get it. You just go like, oh, suddenly something happens where you're with them. And you go like, oh, I get that. What happens inside you when that shift happens? And you go from being just civilized and courteous and standing there and wanting them to hurry up, and then you suddenly, ugh, into their space. You expand, or you become where they are. You suddenly understand what's going on with them. You feel it. You empathize. We have all these millions of words. But the experience is you're bigger. That's one way I would put it for me. It's like suddenly there's us instead of there's me and them. And in this case, they're slightly irritating. That whole thing is gone. And that sense of me being here and them being there and I don't really want them even to be there has disappeared. And here we are in this shared experience. Something... The separating isn't there. The you and what you think about it and your judgments and your wanting to have them hurry up all disappears and here we are in this experience. The sense of me, the separate me who wants or dislikes or probably both together, I want this, I don't want this, stops in that moment. That moment would be called, could be easily described as a moment of liberation The liberation means the freedom. The freedom is from being contained in the me and I want and I don't like and I wish something else were happening. Dissatisfied, slightly busy, and then it just drops. And then there you are. And when you suddenly see something or understand somebody, you just go like, oh. And there's a stopping. A churning has stopped. A doing has stopped. A wanting it to be anything else stops in a moment. Doesn't that feel full somehow? Doesn't that feel good somehow? Warm? Freer? Lighter? Whatever the words you have for your experience, it's an experience. That's an experience of meta. It's an experience of freedom. It's an experience of wisdom because you suddenly understand. It's an experience of expansion, whatever it is for you. But it's different from, I want this and I don't like that and I've got to hurry up and get this job done and, and the busy, busy, churning, churning of the small sense of me that we do with great well, enthusiasm, but we completely believe that we need to do it that way, because that's the only way we've known. So we're really usually pretty conscientious about being me. I'm really good at complaining, you know. (laughs) I can really figure stuff out really busily. Like we are very, usually pretty conscientious in being alive. A few people just vaguely drift through life, but on the whole, most people, especially the Western type A types, definitely aren't just drifting. So meta is a, a word that's trying to describe the state that's bigger than the self sense of separate me and all my needs and hopes and efforts. So it's a, it's a description of awakening or we awaken from a dream. The reason they even use the word awakening is that that little separate sense of me is described in texts and by different teachers and so on as a dream. Well, it doesn't feel like a dream. It feels like utterly real. But the thing is, it doesn't mean to say it's it's a fantasy exactly, but it's not as real as, it, as, it, as experience can be. It isn't the only way to, to experience your life. And there's a much, much more profound way of experiencing life that's bigger than that sense of me. It's not that dream, I kind of think of meaning fake. It doesn't mean fake, the sense of separate self that the place we normally are experiencing ourselves from. But it isn't as real as it can be. And we have had those moments when I'm not, like in that one I've just described, you meet somebody, you don't really want to be with them, and then suddenly you find yourself really connected and really with them. You're bigger than that sense of me. When we practice metta, both the repetition of phrases and the concentrating on these lovely states, any of which, they're just four we've picked, descriptives of this opening, this expanding, this contentment, whatever. Both the concentrating of metta and then there's simply tuning into being friendly, choosing to be friendly with whoever it is in the lineup, in the door, not necessarily via wishing wishes, but just by being friendly, being open and friendly. By this practice, we find ourselves more frequently, this is why it's works, if you like works, we find ourselves more frequently expanded. We find ourselves more interested. I was on a meta retreat, this was just a sweet little experience, you know, with many little experiences we have. I was here on retreat, it was warm weather, enough that I was sitting out on the bench that's right outside the door going into the dining room. And um, and there was another practitioner sitting beside me and we were sitting calmly having our lunch being very present and uh, and as we sat there this little um blue bright blue dragonfly those electric blue inch long dragonflies amazing came and then it just lighted on the concrete just a few feet in front of us and we're both sitting there we're sort of mesmerized because it's you know exquisite and our minds are fine and it's so bright blue and we're all very you know, enjoying the butterfly thing, communing with, uh, not the butterfly, the dragonfly. And then in a flash, this salamander came up from underneath the and went, shh! <laughs> oh. And we were all, you know, I'm sure this person who we weren't speaking, we were both clearly feeling, oh, my God, oh, happy salamander, it had a great lunch. Oh, poor dragonfly. <laughs> We were so available to the dragonfly-salamander exchange. We were so connected. (laughs) It was so dramatic. This is life and death. This is like survival and death and a flash. And love and oh! And we miss so many moments like that. (laughs) We're so busy like pig pen. I want this. I don't like this. I'm worried about this. And my whole story. And there's, I mean, that's a dramatic moment. There's very undramatic moments, you know, the opening over the flower and the little thing falls away. There's way more subtle, exquisite things we miss so much. Meta, this feeling feeling into being able to feel your experience, experience your life, rather than observe it from above or think about it or turn it into an agenda to have to achieve something, get rid of something. Being here in your life. When we really, like back to the example of the person you meet on the street, and then when it shifts and you suddenly find yourself connecting, connecting, Empathetic with this person, there's understanding. The reason that there's a connect—not the reason, but part of the of the connecting and being now with them—is you 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 understand what's happening for them. When you understand what's happening for them, it's like you feel it's happening with you, and there's empathy. And when there's understanding, when there's empathy, there's caring. Especially if they're talking to you about some intense thing that they've been feeling, which presumably is why they're telling you this. Because if it was, I had an ordinary day today, they're not going to stop you on the street and say, oh, you never guess what I had a really ordinary day today. (laughs) Nothing to tell you. (laughs) Usually we're busy with the juicy bits, you know. So when there's a juicy bit, you actually can feel it with them. But that means you understand them. You're with it. And then when there's understanding, what there is, is your heart feels it too, this caring. We don't care a lot because we don't bother to notice and then understand and So we don't then feel it. So we then don't care. But one of the things about this whole awakening practice, which we're involved in, is it's slow. And to be able to understand a situation, a person, the state they're in, yourself, it's gradual. You can't just say, okay, I get it now. It's really sort of waiting with there's sinking into kind of, what is this? It's being curious. And then it's like, oh, discovering. And it takes its own time. We can't will it. You can't will meta. You can't will yourself to be caring. You can sort of sense what it can be like. You can remember being with a certain muse in a certain scenario and remember, oh, it feels like this and kind of invite it, kind of lean towards it. Yeah I know when it feels like this, Mm. but you can't generate it, you can't make it. We're not so in control, it's more a leaning or a calling. But when you see and you understand there's a certain clarity what happens is when we're not, when we're being the little sense of me, we're very full up with all the stuff. Donald used that word stuff, the, the nice Buddhist technical term of stuff. Right. Like our, this, meing is full of stuff. My agenda, my explanations, my justifications, my you know descriptions, on and on. Busy, busy. When you're busy, it's stuff. Then if you were to suddenly realize something. Oh, you all have been going through a retreat, so you're all realizing things. When something goes, oh, in you, you have an insight, it's called, in Vipassana. Some, you, just something shifts and you realize something. There's a quieting. Oh, I understand something. It becomes clearer. When this stuff is busy, pig pen going along, That's the right name, isn't it? That little character that... You all grew up with Big Pen. I didn't grow up with... The one who spins along with the little... That's what I think of us as like, you know. Crowded little stuff, 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 stuff. Then it just clears in a moment. So we use the word clear. Sort of all the stuff clears and there's understanding. It's like, oh, oh, I see something. And that kind of understanding isn't intellectual understanding. It isn't theoretical understanding. It's like, oh... And when you get something like that, usually it feels light. I don't. There aren't words. The English language is hopeless at trying to describe what I'm trying to talk about. These inner states. It's not hopeless, but it's not very good. It's not very accurate. It's so I'm trying. But there's a, there's some lightness. There's some like rightness. It's like oh yeah, wow, I got it. Kind of thing, right? So, there's, I've described now a kind of getting bigger, expandingness that goes with awakening or moments of really becoming beyond the small sense of me, as Jack Cornfield calls a small body of fear. Expanding. There's quieting. There's clearing. Less stuff at the moment, it's settling. These are all what metta is. I want to talk a bit about the whole thing about love. I did say yesterday afternoon when we were doing the Brahma Viharas together that tonight I was going to talk about degrees of juice. So metta describes an absence or at least a lessening of the preoccupation with meing, the busy me defining itself chasing and avoiding. That's another word for love when we're in a state of love, we're not preoccupied with ourselves. That's why we love love, because it's such a relief to not be worrying about me, because I feel expanded now. Love is loaded though, the word love is loaded, and our tendency, just as we do with the stories of ourselves, the ups and the downs, we have this huge tendency to want really juicy. We want dramatic. We want the perfect soulmate. Perfect love. We don't want ordinary love and B.O. and you know. <laughs> we want white knights. I mean, I speak as a heterosexual female woman, but we want the impossible. So love is a loaded word. If you think of meta meaning love, in fact, it was very popular. I don't know, I'm sure it still is with lots of people to use the English translation of for meta as loving kindness. But I, I worry about the love part because it so easily sets up this, oh, loving. And then there are moments when we do feel really loving, like really loving, not just romantically attracted or attached or stimulated or something, but actually really empathetic. Really, really, oh, it's really connected. That lovely feeling of love. It's possible. But we often, it's more than that. And the trouble with what we do in our minds is when we have a good experience, like a happy moment, we think that that's how it should be. And we forget that it's the play of joys and sorrows on this plane. It's not supposed to always be loving. So we... we. um Confused, we're confused. So love, I f- even though it's a beautiful word and its true, deep, profound meaning is liberation. You know, God is love. The kingdom of heaven is love. The state is a state of love. Beautiful. It's not that I disagree with that, but it's a bit of a setup sometimes because we then want nothing less. Meta, on the other hand, is the absence of self concern. And when there's an absence of self-concern, it doesn't have to be full-on love. It can simply be quietly understanding. It can simply be, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Because I'm with you. I'm not like, oh, yeah, I, I hear you, and I'm actually really texting somebody on the side here. <laughs> it's like really there for the really connecting. It's a continuum of experience from really, really deep, profound, utter connection, ultimate fantasy land almost. Really, really liking, really, really enjoying, really, really up, beautiful, rich, to quieter, low key, friendly. I prefer the word friendly because it's not such a setup. When you're with a good friend and you're being friendly You're just there. I had an experience, a great little meta experience on my way here, almost on my way here. I flew on Monday. We came on Monday, right? So on Sunday, I was teaching somewhere else for the day. On Friday night was my friend's birthday. She was visiting with another friend. The three of us were visiting, having our little glass of Prosecco, being friendly. She left to go to dinner with another friend. She had left maybe four minutes when she came staggering back in the door. she had just got in her car, just gone a hundred yards down the road, and when she had suddenly a terrible, searing headache. She's a nurse. She knew this was possibly really bad, problematic. So she came staggering back in the door. I said, I I can't drive. So I, of course, was there and jumped in my car, which was right there, drove her to the hospital. We live on a little island. We get to the hospital and what she needs, of course, is a CAT scan because we want to rule out whether she's having a stroke or whether she's having, you know, some kind of aneurysm or whether there's like some kind of growth in her brain or something. Three main awful things. And so we need a CAT scan. We have no CAT scan where I live. And it's now about 10 to 7 in the evening. And the last ferry, we're ferry bound on islands, leaves at 10 to 8. And it's about a 25 minute drive. So we all realized pretty quickly that we have to catch the 10 to 8 ferry. So ambulance is organized. I rush to her house, which is nearby. I grab her overnight bag of things. I come rushing back. I rush to my house. This is all in the car. Grab a few overnight things and go onto the ferry. She's in an ambulance and off I go. And I spend the night with her in the hospital waiting for the CAT scan, getting the results from the CAT scan, which showed she was fine, by the way. So it's not a dramatic story in that way. But then I missed a night's sleep. I actually had three hours of sleep in a different bed. And then I had a day full on the Saturday, and then I had a day on the Sunday, and then I came here on the Monday. That's just ordinary. It's not dramatic, it's not tear-jerking, it's not Hollywood versions of it. It's simply friendly. It wasn't courageous of me. It wasn't utterly generous of me and awesome of me. It was just what you do. I was there, I could drive, the ferry's leaving, she could have gone by herself. She'd have been okay, maybe. But it's really nice to have somebody with you. So I went with her. That's meta. Simple. That oh, it's actually quite big. It Wasn't just nothing. Meta is even being in a situation. Here you're in a si- like the person on, I described in the beginning. You meet this person on the street. They've got something to tell you. There's something that they're going through. You don't actually want to deal with it. You've got other things to do. And then you shift. And now you're there, with them. You're not doing anything, you're just being there. But you're open. You've expanded. You connect. That's matter. It might be something you don't even want to hear. Something that's not very good news or that you don't like. Or it might even be your own headache. and what we tend to do of course is when it's pleasant we want it more and when it's unpleasant we want less and we do everything we can to explain it away or justify it or sue somebody and instead you can just go oh this is a painful headache you don't have to like it but metta means this is what's happening pain that's metta it's me it's being open to it's being with it's respecting it's not turning it into a problem that now you, little you, have to try and do something about. That's when you're not actually with it. Meta is with it, with, close, in it, with life, rather than against it. And the little me is usually against something. I want this to be different. I want more of something that isn't here. I want this not to be this way. We're in conflict so much. That's why it's called dukkha. It's stressful there's a friction. I have a funny little thing that in the last few months I I got hearing aids. I don't really need them desperately but I got them. The time that I mostly need them is when I'm in a situation like this and you're asking questions. I haven't got them in tonight but tomorrow morning I'll have them in. But because I don't need them all the time, I don't, I live alone in the country so it's really fairly quiet. If so I don't wear them a lot of the time, which you're supposed to put them in and then your ear is supposed to get used to them. But anyway, I don't because <laughs> I don't need. But what happens is because in the quiet, I'm not in a hall full of people talking to me. I'm living by myself in the country and I put the hearing aids in. All I hear is friction. I hear the keys jangling on the side of the steering column. I hear the paper. The first thing I heard when I first had them was this. Whoosh, and I turned around and I thought, what? And, I t- and there was a little piece of crumpled paper blowing on the floor. <laughs> I hear friction. I hear plastic bags are awful. If anybody have hearing aids and you know, it's just you scrum- somebody scrumples up a plastic bag. It's awful. <laughs> There's so much friction. And that's kind of, to me, what goes on inside us is we're in friction all the time. We want this. We don't like this. We need more of this. We've got to do something about this. We're busy kind of rubbing up against it. Meta is not that. It just is how it is. And if we stop this rubbing, this constant shifting and fixing and manipulating, it's quieter. (laughs) And the blood pressure goes down, everything relaxes. It's delicious in comparison. And it's connecting. It isn't just like no problem. It's also much lovelier because when you're quieter and you're not like, putting your agenda on the situation and you let it in, suddenly it's extraordinary and more beautiful. But it's subtly beautiful. It isn't extremely dramatically beautiful. And then you miss all the low stuff. The little stuff starts to become more exquisite. Even just being able to be in, for instance, for the first time in my life in September, another thing I went through. These are just little experiences. I went for the first time to the periodontist. The periodontist specializes in cleaning the stuff underneath the gum line. As you get older, you need more of this kind of thing. And so, you know, scraping and scraping and scraping. I don't like it. And, uh, but meta enables me to be able to just like be bigger than the disliking of the thing and just let it be happening. Normally, I would be like, oh, you know, like, oh, God, I don't like this, which is probably a reasonable response. It's not delicious, but it's okay. It's okay. This isn't great, but I don't need to be in conflict. I don't need to be in friction about it. Metta allows me to be able to say, okay, okay. Actually, even sometimes to say thank you, I mean, what a job. he's really nice too his name's Kevin (laughs) it's kind of it's makes it even almost nice and otherwise friction makes it horrible you know like we make things way worse by not being metaphor by not having space Another thing about this, what's metaphor, is this is quiet making space for, moves me into the area of how when we don't notice, we don't notice people, we notice the dramatic, we notice the. Did I tell you my experience? I don't think I told you my experience. Another experience. These examples. When I was, oh, a few years back, for numbers of years through my middle, you know, all my sort of young adult and adult for a long time, living where I do in this smallish community. Uh, Every uh, Halloween we have a Halloween fancy dress dance, costume dance, and so I would go. And fairly early on realized it was much more fun to look like a character than hide behind masks and big robes and things, so I was some kind of character. Many characters over the years. Well the last time I went, Partly because I'm getting older, partly because now the young ones are there and it gets rowdy and different music and it's changing. But partly <laughs> partly because my actual experience was this, the last experience. The character I chose, and I never knew what I would do. I would go to the local value village, you know, the, the thrift shop and pick some odd thing and then build a character around that odd thing. Well, the odd thing I picked was an American, excuse me, baseball cap, which I would never otherwise wear. And a fake ponytail bright pink. So I thought okay. And so I got sunglasses. I got bright pink with big message which I don't ever wear bright pink t-shirts with messages on them. T-shirt. Some kind of bright pink spandexy kind of thing me, sporty kind of thing. Running shoes which I have never owned a pair. <laughs> and a cigarette which I didn't light. Like. And lipstick. And so I went and gum. So I went <laughs> which I don't usually... <laughs> so I was not myself. And so I went to this thing, and I went in the door, and, and it was November, of course, the end of November, so needless to say, where I live, it's raining. And so I parked myself... And this is a local community hall, right? There are going to be 180 people max there, of which I'll know 160. So I go in, <laughs> and uh, settled myself fairly near the door, and for the next half hour, people were arriving with their raincoats, and they shake their raincoats off and then put them down and then get their look together and then scan the crowd and then move over to somebody and do their thing, right? For half an hour, they scanned the crowd and they passed me by and scanned the crowd because I didn't look like, I didn't look gorgeous. I didn't look awful. I didn't look interesting at all. I looked like somebody from some suburb somewhere going to a baseball game. And I didn't get noticed. And then eventually, uh, that was a bit depressing. It wasn't fun. It's supposed to be fun. And so I w- started sidling up to my friends. Of course, I you know, could recognize them and they being their odd character. And I would come up and I'd dance in a kind of lumpy, frumpy sort of a way, ordinary sort of a way, like not specially in any way. And they wouldn't notice me. And I would like... And I did this for another half an hour and no one recognized me because I had a non-character character. And it was so depressing. (laughs) And I went home and I've never been back. And they didn't even know it was me. But the point is to be missed is so painful. To be nobody. We spend so much time and energy looking like something. But when you're just not known, not noticed, you get forgotten. You didn't get invited to the thing because you were forgotten. It's terribly painful. It's sad. But we do that to each other because we're so full of our stuff that we actually, we don't notice. We don't notice dragonflies and salamanders and we don't notice each other a lot. And it's not out of malice, you know, or hatred or even intent. It's ignorance, but it's painful. That's not meta. There's a sweet little story in one of Jack's books of a a true story, presumably. Nursing students, uh, first term, first year, midterm exam. They have to take the exam and then hand it in and then they go for their midterm break. And uh, the last question before they go for their midterm break on this exam is, what's the name of the cleaning lady? And some of them think it's a joke and don't answer it. And some of them ask, what is, you know, is this a joke? And, uh, and whether it's at the, when they come back, I don't remember, or before they go away, the answer is, it certainly isn't a joke. You want to be a nurse? You're going to care about people, all people who come your way, including cleaning ladies. Her name is Dorothy. And this, you know, this person who was writing the story, she said, I'll never forget that question. She, cleaning ladies were not noticed in her mind. And so how many times do we do that? And that's not meta. It's rude, actually. It's certainly painful. So meta is simply noticing. That's also meta. It doesn't have to be dramatic, juicy love or dramatic, juicy anything. It can be very little juice, but just noticing. Noticing somebody at a doorway. And we notice each other much more here on the retreat. We're not, we're not so full of stuff, and we're also not so full of responsibilities and jobs and distractions. So we're noticing each other. And there's lots of meta going around, just like we're careful with doors, for instance. It's a simple thing. That's meta. It's not juicy, but it's really meta. I was on a plane coming down here to you this time. And uh, across the way was a very empty plane, lots of space. I had three seats to myself. And then across the aisle was a man reading a newspaper the entire journey. It's almost two hours from Vancouver. And a little girl, he had gray hair. He probably was a grandfather. I don't know. And this little girl who was maybe seven little, not a toddler by any means, but little girl, and uh, he never spoke to her the entire way. And she had her things to do and her things to play with. And then, and you know, when they were nearly arriving, he said something about something. So I realized they were actually traveling together. But I just thought, God. I wanted to go and just hang out with her and chat, you know. And I don't know anything about their relationship or anything. But I felt the lack of meta. I felt for her. Um, Another thing about what metta is, it's um, by tuning into and getting to know the state of your heart, whether it's open or closed, whether it's worrying or not, whether it's being tender and connected or is full of its stuff, all of which are what happens, it's getting to know it, encouraging it to be able to be more friendly why we're doing all of this, why we're talking the way we talk to you, um, is it's about developing the ability to choose. And we don't know that we can choose how we perceive and how we think and how we act and how we speak. We don't realize we have a choice, most of the time untrained, because we don't have a choice. We're on automatic, somebody insults us and we yell. You know, Something frustrates that and we lose patience. Something delights us and we are excited or somebody praises us and we're inflated. All of this happens. It just happens. When, it go, when it's pleasant, we go up. We automatically want more of it. When it goes down, we automatically dislike it and find some or other or many ways of being antagonistic. But we are not choosing. As we meditate, we get to know ourselves. We get to discover that those responses are, are optional. It's extraordinary. And when we realize we have a little choice, we don't have complete choice because some things really bug us and we don't, we can't just say, oh, I'm not going to let it bug me because they will will happen. But we start realizing that we have more flexibility than we thought. We have some way to make some choice. There's that beautiful example of um, the uh, native man talking to his grandchild, saying to his little, little grandson, it's like I have two wolves in my heart the angry and hateful one and the, the friendly, kind one, and they're fighting. And the little boy says, oh, who's winning? Who's going to win? And the grandfather says, whichever one I feed. We have the choice of which one do you want to feed? We can actually choose. We can choose to be more friendly. We can choose to be interested in the cleaning lady. We can choose to let our friends in when they're telling us a story. It's a choice. And when we make the choice towards meta, towards liberation, we feel expanded, we feel calmer, suddenly the churning slows down. It feels much more delightful. We know it's right, it's wholesome. We just don't realize we can make this choice, but we practice choosing this way we're deliberately choosing this way. And every time the mind goes off, like, oh, no, 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 but I don't think so. We say, come on, let's choose this way again. Let's choose this way again. We're, we're developing this capacity to not be at the mercy of what the mind is telling us, but to choose, do I want to keep thinking that? This morning, I think it was you asked the question or somebody maybe who's sitting here. Was it whoever it was? Anyway, somebody who was here was saying... Um, you know, I think of my muse. She was asking Heather this question. I think of my muse and, and I'm being friendly with my friend. It's my friend. But then I, my mind keeps thinking of all the little things that derail that, right? And I, I then what about all the other little things that they are, they, they get complicated. They're not just friendly. Well, one of the things you can do with that is just choose not to cope thinking about that. Because of course they're not perfect, but we can choose what we want to focus on. Meta is choosing to focus on the good focus on the stuff that brings empathy rather than the stuff that makes us get irritated and have an agenda that's not so helpful for them or for us so it's a a choice we're learning and we get to realize that we have much more choice than we thought we did we get better at choosing we see more places to choose we choose more easily The other thing that meta is, this practicing that we're doing, is we can make those choices, even though part of our mind is saying yes, but you know, it's not actually that. It's not going to be that effective. Or so I'm going to read you a little quote by Mother Teresa about this. She says, "People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway." If you're kind, people may accuse you of being selfish, of uh, of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you'll win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be serene and happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It never was between you and them anyway. <laughs> in other words, we do it, whatever may happen, whatever we might say, oh, it's silly to do this, it's pointless. I can to be kind, but it's going to just disappear in no time. Why bother? We do it anyway. Meta is doing it regardless of circumstance, regardless of what may occur, regardless even of outcome. We do it because it's good to do. The anyway is kind of the, is we haven't talked about yet on the retreat this, but there are four brahmaviharas. Being friendly, just being friendly, metta. Being friendly, even when it's painful or difficult, as Heather was talking about last night, still staying open and going like, oh, this is painful, and still being there, and not adding the agenda of resistance or, fear or all the other things that we tend to want to do when it's unpleasant. The third one is, we haven't talked about this one yet, joy. Appreciative joy, empathetic joy, joy when things are great. Being able to really be with somebody when they're happy. It's not as easy as it sounds. Being just with no agenda about that, wanting to have to have it or somebody else is going to talk about joy. The fourth one is equanimity. Equanimity is kind of anyway. It's not about because it's going to work or because you're going to then be valued or because anything. It just is. Anyway, we just have a choice to be kind. We have a choice to be friendly. We can choose it. Regardless of what else may happen or not happen. That kind of Bigness, freedom from consequence, freedom from effect, freedom from measuring, freedom from goals, is equanimity. It's a kind of openness. There's lots of other things to say about equanimity and I expect someone else will talk more about that. Hmm. So we just do this meta and we do this meta. Um, Who knows how it will unfold? Who knows what will happen? And often you've probably heard people say it's like sowing seeds. Like you sow seeds anyway. Sometimes they don't grow. Sometimes they don't sprout. Sometimes they, they wither and die pretty quickly. Sometimes they become fantastically huge trees. You just do it anyway. We don't know what will happen. And all the things that will happen are way beyond us being able to control. But we do it anyway. So sow seeds of kindness, choose friendliness, choose it over and over. It's a good thing to do. It stops you being separate from and preoccupied with protection. It connects us, makes us feel like we belong. It's simple. It's much quieter and much less than the dramas and the juicy moments. It's humble. It's shy. It's slow. Being friendly is a quiet thing. It's just being available sometimes. You know you can always call me. It's not grand. It doesn't have bells and whistles and awards. Often it's unnoticed. But even if it seems quiet and nothing special, ordinary, humble, patient, loyal, unremarkable, it's extremely powerful. All those things may even sound weak, not strong, but there is so much power to saying call me anytime or just listening when someone has something to say and you actually really listen the gift of presence of care is so powerful people say you know it's not what you did it's not anything you said just you're actually being there was what I remember. You know, a lot of you know, I was a midwife for a long time, 20-something years. And um, one of the things we used to say, one of our little goals was what made a good midwife, we would say, is if everything happened, everything worked well, and we could leave and not be noticed that we had slipped out, because actually it's their experience, made a good midwife. It isn't about being grand or being, you know, brilliant and saving them from the jaws of whatever. It's, but it's powerful. To powerfully be able to witness somebody, empower them to be fine. It's a huge thing, it's a huge gift. It may be such a subtle thing. Don't underestimate the power of this. The power of um, freedom. It may seem like an absence of of the being, the ego, the sense of self, the busy, the achieving, the striving, the working. But it's the most powerful experience. It's the most, it's the largest, vastest, richest, fullest, emptiest state that humans can experience. Here's a little example, just a little story of many millions of stories. From 1982, an Englishman was young. He was a student living in London in a squat. A squat is like you aren't paying rent, you're just living in some divey place that you know that there's an absent landlord. So he's living in a squat. Um, and there was a message from the police to that squat that that person living in they thought this person was living in the squat And the message was um he didn't bother with checking the message initially because he usually when the police came it was to evict them from their squat but uh he thought it, or he had because he hadn't paid rent for a long time but then he thought yeah my mom's been ill actually maybe i should go and check it check her out there was a, just a, just somebody came with a message for him he didn't know what it was so he went to the local phone booth and he phoned his mother and um, he, her, his dad spoke to him and he said, she's in hospital and she's really sick and I don't even know if she's gonna last the night, get home. So he's in London and this is in Leeds in the north of England. So he rushed to the train station and he got the last train up but there was, the last train to Leeds had gone already. So he had to take another train to a town that was not Leeds and hope to make a connection He'd missed the last train. The only train I could get was going as far as Peterborough, but that meant I'd connect my connecting train to Leeds by 20 minutes. I bought the ticket anyway. I got on. I was a struggling student. I didn't have any money for a taxi the whole way, but I did have a screwdriver in my pocket and a bunch of skeleton keys. I was so desperate to get home, I planned to nick a car, that's steal a car, in Peterborough, hitchhike, steal money, something, anything. I just knew from my dad's tone of voice that my mother was going to die that night, and I intended to get home if it killed me. Tickets, please, I heard this and stared blankly out of the window at the passing darkness, fumbled for my ticket, gave it to the guard when he approached. He stamped it, but then just stood there looking at me. I'd been crying, had red eyes, must have looked a fright. You okay, he said. Of course I'm okay, I said. Why wouldn't I be? And what's it got to do with you anyway? (laughs) You look awful, he said. Is there anything I can do? Just get lost and mind your own business, I said. That's a big help. I wasn't in the mood for talking. He was only a little chap. He must have read the danger signals in my body language and tone of voice, but he sat down opposite me anyway and continued to engage me. If there's a problem, I'm here to help. That's what I'm paid for. I was big, in my prime, so I thought for a second about sending him on his way, but somehow that didn't seem right. He wasn't doing anything wrong. I was going through all the stages of grief at once, denial, anger, guilt, withdrawal, everything but acceptance. I was a bubbling cauldron of emotion and he had placed himself in my line of fire. The only thing I could think of to get rid of him was to tell him. Look, my mum's in hospital, she's dying. She won't survive the night. I'm going to miss the connection to Leeds at Peterborough. I'm not sure how I'm going to get home. It's tonight or never, I won't get another chance. I'm a bit upset, I don't really feel like talking and I'd be grateful if you'd leave me alone, okay? Okay, he said, finally getting up. Sorry to hear that, son. I'll leave you alone then. Hope you make it home in time." And he wandered off down the carriage, back the way he'd come. I continued to look out of the window at the dark. 10 minutes later, he was back. Oh no, I thought, here we go again. He touched my arm. Listen, when we get to Peterborough, shoot over straight to platform one as quick as you can. The Leeds train will be there. I looked at him dumbfounded. This is This is England and there's millions of trains and they don't wait for anyone. I wasn't really registering. Come again, I said. What do you mean? Is it late or something? No, it's not late, he said defensively, as if he really cared whether trains were late or not. No, I've just radioed Peterborough. They're going to hold the train up for you. As soon as you get on, it goes. Everyone will be complaining about how late it is, but let's not worry about that. On this occasion, you'll get home, and that's the main thing. Good luck, and God bless. He was off again down the train. Tickets, please. Any more tickets? I suddenly realized what a top-class, fully fledged idiot I was, and I chased down the train after him. I wanted to give him all the money from my wallet, my driver's license, my keys, but I knew he'd be offended. I caught him up, I grabbed his arm. This is where the English comes in. er just wanted to, um. Suddenly I was speechless. It's okay, he said. It's not a problem. He had a warm smile on his face, true compassion in his eyes. He was a good man, for its own sake, and required nothing in return I wish I had some way I could thank you, I said. I appreciate what you've done. Not a problem, he said again. If you feel the need to thank me, next time you see someone in trouble, help them out. That will pay me back. Tell them you, p- tell them to pay you back the same way and soon the world will be a better place. I was at my mother's side when she died in the early hours of the morning. Even now I can't think of her without remembering the good conductor on that late night train to Peterborough and to this day I won't hear a bad word said about British Rail. (laughs) (laughs) My meeting with the good conductor changed me from a selfish, potentially violent hedonist to into a decent human being, even though it took time. I've paid him back a thousand times since then. I tell the young people I work with this, and I'll keep on doing it until the day I die. And if anyone says they owe me anything, I simply say, pass it on down the line. Easy. No bells and whistles, not even train bells and whistles. Just a little more open. This is matter. Thank you for being open to these words. I hope they're helpful. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.